Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, give us this morning a craving, a deep desire to eat and to drink deeply of this book. Lord, send your spirit into this place to those who who are far from you now, who don't want to follow you. God, I pray that you would speak your love and grace and forgiveness to them. Lord, to those who are new to this thing called Christianity, I pray that you would give them wisdom and insight into this morning's passage. And to those who have been walking with you for years, Lord, I pray that they would be challenged and sharpened and encouraged. And that all of us, no matter where we are in our walk, no matter what our view of spirituality is, that all of us in this room would be drawn closer to embracing and loving and living for Jesus than we were when we walked in these doors. So I thank you. I thank you for the way that you've loved me. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And in the book of Ephesians, we're looking at some of our identity statements, who we are in Jesus. And today's is that we are new. My wife makes fun of the way I say new. She's like, it's not new, it's new. But that sounds like moo to me. So I feel like if it was supposed to be new, it would just be N-O-O. But anyway, so if I say new and it bothers you, I'm trying to work, it on, work on it. Um, I have many speech impediments, and that's why it's ironic that I'm a pastor. But today we have new life. New life. <laughs> One of the things, uh, as we... As we think about this passage, there's this concept of walking with God, and there's this concept of living in darkness. And I don't know about you, but I am the the resident, hear a bump in the night, I'm the one that gets up person. Now, everyone in my family, it seems, are lighter sleepers than me. Uh, When when we had babies, my wife would nudge me to go feed the babies in the middle of the night, and I would not recall feeding the babies in the middle of the night. And she said, since you can't remember whether or not you fed them, I'm just going to have you do it every night. But then I said, babe, what if I'm actually not feeding them? Then that is a problematic plan. So, so one of the things that I've grown to do now, though, is that in my house, I know where every little creek is, and it can be pitch black. And because my wife will wake up if a feather drops out of one of our down pillows in the living room downstairs, she'll wake up in the upstairs, I've got to be a ninja if I want anything at night. So if I need a glass of water and it's pitch black, I'll just get up. I put on my ninja outfit in my mind, not real, and I'll just start dodging the the creeks. Boom, boom, boom. And then I'll go down the stairs. I know which stairs make which noises. Stair, stair, skip the stair. The problem when you skip stairs in the dark, and this is something that all of us adults have done, (laughs) is that A, you don't know where the next stair is, and B, if you happen to stick that landing, it threw off your head count. So when you get to the bottom, you think there's one more stair, and there's not. Has anyone done this, or is this only me? And you, like, lunge for this stair, and the ground says, hello! And it messes everything up. Today, I'm hoping that we will be able to turn on the lights, because I see so many Christians navigating and hitting that stair that's not there. And unless we learn how to walk in the light, unless we learn how to open our hearts to understand and know God, we will continually hit the creeks 
and the falls in life. So I'm just going to jump right in. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along behind me. Remember, any questions are fair game because I plan on offending some people today, but not all of them. Verse 17. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Okay, step one. First, this is Paul. We know the gospel. We know that we are saved by grace, through faith. It's God's doing toward us, one-way love crashing into our rebellious life. And now he's saying, because of this, since this has happened, because you already are saved, secured, clothed, now don't walk as the Gentiles do. Now, most of us in this room are Gentiles. Most of us in this room are not ethnic Jews. So you're thinking, what does it mean to not walk like a Gentile walks? Well, the Gentiles didn't have the laws of God. It's like the the guidelines that taught God's people how to go to generally make your life work well. This is somewhat like um, freeways are. You've got the the guide lane barriers. You've got the uh, lines in the road. And I know that um, some of you think those lines in the road are just there for your colorful enjoyment. You're actually supposed to stay within those lines especially on the back roads of Boyette here, just because somebody's driving the speed limit doesn't mean you should go around me at 100 miles an hour when the line is double yellow, okay? Are my police officers paying attention to this? Boyette, back roads, 8 a.m., be there, okay? Help me, help you. There's guidelines. And when he says, do not walk as the Gentiles do, Paul is saying, look, There is a way of walking that is outside of the general principles of how God has hardwired this world. And what does it look like? It says, in the futility of their minds. So it uses two phrases that if you are an intellectual person or you value yourself as such, you you may be thinking if you're here, okay, maybe you're here, you got dragged here, someone did the old bait and switch. They said, hey, let's go get coffee. And they brought you here and surprise, you're at a church service. But you don't believe in Jesus or anything like that. And you say, I'll sit in there, I'll do it. And now you're thinking, wow, this pastor's saying that people that are outside of this God thing, they live in futility of their minds. And then it uses a word that is very disrespectful in our culture, ignorance. They were darkened in their understanding, alienated from God because of their ignorance. I mean, if you want to get someone really mad, call them ignorant, right? It doesn't matter if they are or not. If you want to get someone really, really mad, call someone ignorant on social media where they can read whatever tone they want into the word, it will explode. Because every one of us, no matter where we are, we all value our ability to think and to know. And we tend to, as Western thinkers, overestimate our intellectual capacities so that generally we walk into rooms and no one will ever walk into a room and think, I'm probably the dumbest person here. It's happened very few times in my life where I've walked into a room, and usually in those cases where I've walked into the room, it's because like I've I've hosted conferences for like apologetics or something at church, so I get these brains. And these guys, they're not even real humans. They're just toothpicks with brains on their toothpick heads. And I've walked in, and they're just saying words that I had never heard of, and they're laughing about principles and philosophy. I'm like, you guys think this is funny? You guys need to go back and watch SpongeBob. You've lost touch with reality. But they, they have these massive, and I walked in, I thought, well, I am the 
dumbest person in this room. But I, I came to learn quickly that although I might have been the dumbest of the scholarly type in those rooms, some of these guys had the common sense of a snail. So, so it began to bounce out because my pride wouldn't let me just be the dumbest. I had to boost myself up, and we all do this with our pride. So right now when I say that there's a way that some of you are walking, even some of us who are following Jesus, there are corridors of our mind and our heart that are walking in darkness, that are existing on a futile path, a path that is not going the right direction. And because of our pride, we will choose not to see it. Because of our pride, we will choose to point out faults in others so that we don't have to dust the dark cavern of our intellect or soul off. This is a classic spiritual defense. Anytime that you begin to feel inferior, anytime you begin to feel weak, the first thing that many of us do is we look to others so that we can shine a spotlight on them. And we see what their problem is. And then it makes us not look at our futility of mind and heart. So Paul is saying, because of everything that God has done for you, because you are saved, because you are clothed, because God loves you, now don't walk this way. You've got, church, you've got a direction to walk. You've got guidelines to know. Don't let your hardness of heart pull you away from what you know to be true. Don't let your stinking thinking get in the way of the reality that God has saved you and is changing you from the inside out. Now, how do you do that? And what does that look like? Here's one way to think about this. Um, some of us are open-minded. Some of us are closed-minded. Some of us are medium-minded. Now, if I were to ask and take a hand poll, which I'm not going to do, if I said, who in here is open-minded? A lot of you would be like, I'm open-minded. Because that's a value in our culture, being open-minded. If I said, how many of you in here are just narrow-minded? There'd be like four of you. And you're like, that is me. I'm so narrow, you can't even fit a needle on me. I got my way or no way. Everyone else is wrong except for me. Are you narrow or open-minded? And, and here's one of the things that I want to press into you today. If God truly exists, if God wired the universe to function a certain way, we as followers of Jesus should never be afraid of things that I think historically over the past decades we've kind of pulled away from. Like we should not be afraid of science. We should be on the forefront of science. If we believe that God created the universe, that God is powerful, that God has an intricate design for the way things ought to be, we should not cocoon ourselves away from people who argue against us. We should not just talk away the doubts we have in our minds. If you have doubts about Christianity, good. That means you're a human. And, and doubts, if you work through them with God's word and with counsel and with reason, they will strengthen your faith. They won't diminish your faith. So instead of pretending that it's just this narrow way, I believe we need to, as a body, open our minds and say, what is there out there that I need to learn about God, learn about life, learn about the universe, how things are wired so that I can know God more clearly? Because the way to have a not hard heart is to have this renewal of your mind, to get rid of the darkened understanding. Things always change in the dark. Roaches appear in the dark, they run from the light. 
when I was in high school, we used to have parties at one of my friend's houses. Every year they had a New Year's party and everybody would dance. And this is like high school dancing. Now, I'm not talking about like the type of dancing that high schoolers do now. This wasn't like that sexual, but it was, it was still dancing. And the, the teenagers would be dancing. And then I became a believer throughout this process and I was a jerk of a believer. I was the guy that was like, I'm going to make you feel bad. I'm going to guilt you into everything. That was before Jesus kept getting me and got me to the grace man that I am today. So we would wait till everyone was in the throes of some song. Just, I'd wait for the gnarliest, raunchiest rap song. And then everyone would be dancing. And me and my friend, who were annoying jerk Christians, would go to the light switches. And then we would go, boom! And just like the roaches, these teenagers would scatter just like the roaches, when the light came on, the way they functioned changed. Some of us in our lives need to be intentional now about saying, okay, there is an area of my life where I have put up a shade so that God's light cannot make it in. I have said in my brain, I don't want to feel this way or that. I don't want someone to look at me this way or that way. So I will block off this area so that God's light cannot change me. Some of us are doing that because we love whatever the sin is so much. We love having it. We, we cherish the sin. It's our precious thing. It's our little secret. So we, we block out God's light because ultimately we're saying, I love this more than I love God in this area of me. And we all do it. This isn't just unbelievers, new believers, maturing believers. This is Every single one of us, until we meet Jesus, we will have areas in our lives where we are trying to resist. It's the, the last scrap of our sinful nature, the last scrap of our hardness of heart, the last scrap of our futility of mind saying, I don't want you in here. God, leave me alone. If we're being honest, that is where I think many of us would say we are. So how do you stop living in the futility of your mind? We're going to keep on reading. They have become callous, verse 19. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But, but, that is not the way you learned Christ. When, I, when, when you hear the word learned, there's two types of people usually. Some people hear the word learn and they're like, yes, I love to learn. Some people hear the word learn and it's like a flashback to your 10th grade math teacher that used to hit things with her ruler stick to get everyone to listen to the class. I mean, I'm not scarred by anyone like that named Mrs. Barker. Learned Christ. How, how much are you learning Christ? Just answer that for yourself. There's this thing we were talking about. We had a, a volunteer leadership meeting yesterday. And one of the questions I was asking my group is, who do you have above you that's pouring into you? Who do you have below you that you're pouring into? And who, do you, who are you walking with? Who's your side to side? We all need, generally, at least one or two up, down, side to sides. And sometimes it's hard to find an up. Sometimes it's hard to find an up. So what I told my group is, look, I just try to find as many side to sides as possible because if I find a bunch of them, some of them are going to be smarter than me in some areas. They'll teach me. And then I'll teach them in other areas. But... We should always have people pouring into us, and we should always be pouring into others. And I will keep using this illustration until the day that I die because it reminds me of Hawaii. And um, the people running cafe today, they made this Hawaiian bread. It was banana, pineapple, coconut, and walnuts. 
and right now I'm still trying to eat healthy and stuff. And they said, do you want a slice? And I said, no, thank you. It's carbs. And then they said, oh, it's a Hawaiian bread. And I was like, you got me in the soul. But it worked because my, my picture of discipleship, when I think of pour, getting poured into and pouring into others, it always goes back to the north side of the big island of Hawaii. There's these cascading waterfalls. And you have Mauna Kea, which is this massive mountain with an observatory. There's snow on the top of that in Hawaii. You can, you can go play in the icy snow and then go surf in the same day or snowboard or snorkel in the same day. But, but on this island, it just seems that whatever's going on, the storms or the clouds or the snow, the waterfalls just cascade, just 100-foot waterfalls and then a pool. Then that goes into another 100-foot waterfall and then a pool. And then if there's no rain for the seasons and the, the top waterfall begins to dry up, and then this pool puts out water, and then it no longer pours out. And then it gets that pond scum I talk about all the time. Too many of you in here are pond scum. Because, because you don't have something pouring into you, and you're not pouring into someone else. If the water is flowing, you will be a healthier pond. We will get rid of the scum. And, and just so you know, I'm not picking on you. There are parts of my life that are scum. There are caverns where I say, you can pour into me over here. You can, you can talk to me about, you can talk about spirituality. You could talk to me about parenting. But man, you get out of my marriage. You could talk to me about money. You better stay out of sexuality. Where are your areas that you need to be poured into? And it's hard, you guys. It is hard to let people in to find your up, down, side to sides, to be poured into and to pour into others. Some of you are thinking, how do I even start? How do I start getting a relationship where someone can pour into me? And the extroverts in here, you're not asking that question at all. You're like, how do you start? What do you mean? You go meet a stranger, lead them to Jesus, have them over for dinner that night. Who cares if they're a serial killer? The introverts in the room are like, I can't do this. You're telling me to go talk to somebody? that I don't know very well and let them in? Because some of you, your lives are, are designed like those Russian egg dolls. Like you would take off one layer and you're like, this is the real me, psych, another one. This is the real me, just kidding, another one. Some of you, maybe in your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, some of you in your 60s, you're probably 60 layers deep. And someone gets down to the bottom and they're like, wow, that's you? And guess what? It doesn't happen overnight. Here's what I'm not recommending. I'm not saying that you've got to go to some group, that you're going to go to one of the mom's groups we have or the women's groups or the band of brothers or a small group, and you're going to get there the first day and just be like, because if you do that, everyone else is going to freak out. Because that's like you went to the top waterfall and just lose your lunch. Don't do that. But you come and you build relationships so that, so that other people can begin to pour into what you are learning. Let's be honest. Some of us in here have a higher capacity to learn than others. And some of us in here have a capacity to learn different topics and subjects more than others. We need people around us with differing capacities to learn and teach to be able to pour into us. Last week and this week as well, again, I'm encouraging you, I would like to see 100 people total take the spiritual gift test that's on the chapel website. It's free. You get your results sent to you with little descriptions. We're up to somewhere in the mid-50s, around 60, somewhere around there. 
If you don't know what that is, it's a spiritual, spiritual gifts test. It's on the internet. That's that thing that replaced the yellow phone books. And, um, and you just go there, click, write spiritual gifts test. The address is on your bulletin. But I want you to take it so you can see. Because some of you are going to have faith. Some of you are going to have administration. Some of you are going to have teaching. Some of you are going to have knowledge. Some of you are going to have wisdom. And when you begin to find your up, down, side, the sides, it's good that you find people that complement you so that they can teach you and you can learn things, so that the futility of your darkened mind can have someone shining a light in there. It's, it's interesting what people see that aren't yourself or your spouse. Because I, ha- I have this theory that humans, humanity in general, is very good at hiding things we don't want others to see. We do it in romance more than any other area that I can see. We, we do it, I've joked often in the dating game of things, when you're dating, you only show off usually the best side of yourself, And when you get married, then your spouse sees you like without that side of yourself. You know, your wife all of a sudden finds out what you're really like in the morning, how you snore, how you push, how you steal covers, mess up covers. And then you get married for more than a year and that infamous phase called the honeymoon phase is over. And there must be something magical and wise that happens later on down the road because I'm having my, uh, celebrating my 10 year anniversary this September and I think that's a huge, like, I'm like, 10 years is amazing. What a miracle of God that she could put up with me for that long. And then I tell someone's like, how long have you been married? And I ask, how long have you been married? And when I tell people, like, oh, I've been married for 10 years, boom. We have some people at this chapel. Oh, this is our 46th anniversary. 46. I have not been breathing oxygen for that long. <laughs> Do you guys still like each other? Do you still kiss? Do you cuddle? I have so many questions. How do you read the Bible? Because I want to learn. I want to see, okay, how do I, how do I go from where I am? Because I still like my wife a lot. But I've, I've seen an unfortunate side effect of my job is that I see and know and have to interact with couples who, who don't make it or who are struggling. And one of the things that I see oftentimes is when I begin to sit down and talk with them, is that one or both people have hid in darkness an area of their life because they were ashamed to let other people in. Now, if you're new to the chapel, I've got this really, really common thing. Like, I don't like guilting and shaming people into obedience. There are churches that will do that. That's their own prerogative. I've got to stand in front of God one day. And for those who are in Christ, Romans 8, 1 says, there is no condemnation. So I'm not going to sit here and condemn you. Like, you are a terrible human unless you blankety, 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 blank. I'll say you're a terrible human all day long, and God loves you more than you could ever know. And because of that now, he gives you this power and this light. We are a light to the world so that light should be expelling the darkness of our minds and hearts so that we no longer have these calluses on them. We do this by learning about him. Learning how we were taught in Jesus. Some of you might have been taught in Jesus differently. Some of you may be thinking, what you seem to be saying, that God loves me freely because of his grace. That sounds weird to me. I thought I was supposed to obey, and then he would love me. No, he loves you, so now you can obey. Don't trust my words. Don't trust just a priest or a bishop's or another pastor's words. Go to the book. Go to the book for yourself. If you want to know where to start, if you say, here's where I'm at, here's my questions, which book of the Bible? It's a quick text to that number, and I will shoot that back to you. Or you can go to Facebook, write it on Facebook, you can email me. I'm struggling with this. I'm thinking about this. What do I read? What do I read? Go to the book. Because I want you to learn Jesus as 
He revealed Himself through the authors of Scripture. To put off your old self, verse 22, which belongs to your former, uh, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. Corrupt. Put off the old self that's corrupt. Put it off. Do you guys know what that means? Put it off. So here's what happens. I wore an undershirt today just for this, but I didn't realize that my undershirt kind of shrunk. So, okay. I'm tall. This is a common problem. Before Jesus, we are clothed in sin. (laughs) Clothed in sin. We walk around. We're sinful. We have desires that are non-God. We have greed for non-God. We want things to replace God. So we look for pleasure, satisfaction, security, purpose in things that are not God himself. And then when God saves us, he looks down at us. We're just playing in the mud, smiling, thinking we're having a great time. I'm going to have sex with whoever I want. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to think what I want. I'm going to me, 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 me. It's all about me, all about I, all about me, number one, me, my, me, my. Country song. Then God says, ah, ah, I love them so much. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean them up. So God rips us from the swamp, and he drags us over, puts us down. Holy Spirit, New clothes. Ah, new clothes. Bam. Bam. We get God clothes now. And here's what we do. We go, whoa. Oh, I like this. It's, it's cleaner. Somebody, somebody ironed this. Thanks, babe. And we, we think, whoa, this is, this is fun. I can live this way now. This is caring for the poor and the orphan and the widow. This is loving kids who have no, no parents. This is loving my neighbor as myself. This feels really good. But what happens is, because we're in this world, there's this already not yet reality, this tension. And this tension is what Paul is is dancing with right here. He's saying, put off the old self. Get rid of it. And sometimes what we do is we put on the new self, and we start living for Christianity. We start following the ways of Jesus. And something that's happened in the church, it's really weird, it bothers me a lot. We create weird people in the church of Jesus. We create people sometimes, not all the time, like for sure most of you are weird, but I'm sure some of the churches around here are not as weird as us. But we create people that have these subsets of rules that are, actually aren't in the Bible. We create people who are supposed to be the most loving, embracing body, and somehow, so often, we become one of the harshest, judgmental bodies of people. So we, we wear this outerwear, and we think, this will make me happy. And we go for two years into Christianity. And if you've never experienced life within Christianity, I'm just going to give you an upfront warning. Just sometimes we say and do things that you would think are odd for grown-ups to do. So if you came in here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, and you're like, oh yeah, we come, we sing. Some people raise their hands. Some people sing. Some people kneel. Some people cry. But if you came in here and you didn't know that this was a church gathering and what church gathering was all about, you walked in here and you're like, whoa. Why are there 150 people singing to a screen? Why is there a lady playing keyboards right here? What is the guy on the guitar for? Are we singing to them? Are we singing to the screen? Are we singing to God? Who are we singing to? Because as Christianity, as Christians go, we do some weird things. And what happens is we become proud of all of our weirdness. We become proud of the way that we do things. We become proud that we are part of the followers of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And all of a sudden, we become superior to others. And all of a sudden, Christianity can become this game where we put on, God puts on these clothes, 
And without knowing it, we're supposed to wear clothing that is love-centered, other-centered, God-centered. And that's what the new self is because the new self is that we are covered in Jesus, which makes us like Jesus. So if you want to know what your life should look like, look at what Jesus did when he was on earth. That's what your life will generally begin to look like more and more. But somewhere along the way, we want power because humans love it. We love power. We love control. We love recognition. So somewhere along the way, instead of being people clothed in Christ who come to the cross and say, I can't believe you would love me, God. Come, everyone, come. There's more room. There's more room. We do this. We say, oh, but I want power. I want power. Can I just look like a Christian? Can I just put Jesus in front of me a little bit? But then, surprise, I'm evil. That's how a lot of us live. Or some of us just do this on Sunday. We come in on Sundays and we're like, hey, God's, I got to get some God because this week, woohoo, I was a rascal. So you put, put on your Jesus, put on your smiley face, come drop your kids off. You pick up your kids back there. I'm eavesdropping. You're like, oh, hey, little Johnny, did you love learning about the Lord today? And then you walk into your car start screaming at your wife or husband, start beating your kids. You go to work tomorrow on Monday and you already have thoughts about how you can either ditch your work or off your boss like a mobster. Oh, what happened to this? We left it at church. We only learn about Jesus on Sundays. We only want him to change our hearts on Sundays. As long as I can make it through that door, stop cussing and gossiping and judging and sit down for an hour and get all the way back out, then I'm free to do as I please. Do you think that that's what being clothed in Christ means? That it means one hour, one day a week, you get up and you say, Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to live for Jesus today. Do you think that it just means on the fifth Sunday, which is today, you'll see a team of people after service making sandwiches for the homeless? Do you think that's just today that we do that? No way. Do you think it's just today that we love our neighbor as ourselves? No way. Every day, we are to clothe ourselves in Jesus as we learn from one another. What are we learning? We are learning more and more how much God loves us despite us. We are not learning how to be better so that God loves us more. As you sit right now, you cannot be more loved by God if your faith is in Jesus. There is, it is not a possibility when, our, when my first child popped out, it went to maximal love. Now, he may make me angry, but it doesn't draw from my love tank for him. It is maximal love. I used to wonder before I had kids, how can parents do this for their kids or let their kids get away with that or let their kids get away with that or let their kids return after they've done that? And then I had kids. And then I looked at myself as a kid and I thought, that's how they do it. My kids, I don't know that there's a sin that they could do that would make me like just cast them away. I know that there's different family situations. I'm not harping on yours if you're not this person. But people ask me all the time this very odd question. Very odd. Because I'm a pastor, they'll ask me often when I get in a conversation about sexuality or gender or this or that, before they even know what I believe, they'll just find out I'm a pastor these can be random strangers who have done this to me, who I've literally sat next to for a minute and a half, and I'm trying to talk to them about Jesus. 
And they'll say, hey, you're a pastor, huh? Ooh, pastor. And they'll say, what are you going to do when one of your kids comes home and says, dad, I'm gay, or dad, I'm transgendered? Which I think it's really weird that a stranger would say that to me, and it's happened multiple times now, so I always respond the same way. What are you going to do when your kid comes home and says, dad, I'm a conservative orthodox pastor for Jesus? Because, and here's why I say this, because first I want them to see that the argument is weird, and it's weird to do that to people. As much as there are weird Christians, I try to be so far weird that I end up being right somehow. But then I just say, man, that's weird, but here's what I would do. Love them the same way that I did the day before and the day after. I don't have all the answers. If you text me that question now, I'm going to text you back my quippy response. Because life is much more messy than I thought it was when I was a 17, 18-year-old Christian, fresh, hot off the press of Jesus, judging everybody for not being as uh, self-disciplined as I was. Now it's like, oh, life is messy. Things are hard. God has a way, and things are wired. Sin does exist. Sin is sin. But love needs to press through that to draw people into relationship. And for too long, we've been a hammer and not a hug. I like hugging people. Although it is weird, I discovered recently one of my friends stood on a chair to hug me to say, he said, I want, to, I want you to know how it feels when I hug you. And it really changed my perspective on hugs because like, it's weird when your chest, your face mashes into someone's chest, which by the way is every one of your heads except for Case in the back. I mash into his chest. He's a giant. But I hugged him. I was like, oh, this is weird, man. So now I like hugging people even more. I'm like, check it out. But we need to love people into this thing. Love people into relationships where they can learn from us. Love people into this way as we are clothed with Christ. Not just clothed one or two days a week, but walking into every room being clothed. How did you learn Christ? Did you learn Christ? Did you learn Christ from a, a legalistic oriented way of religious thinking? If you obey, then God will love you. That's not... Bible. It's not if you obey, then God will love you. It's God loves you so much in the train wreck of an existence that you were in, now you are freed and empowered and encouraged to obey. I love obedience. I love it in my kids. I love it in my friendships. I love it in small groups. It's obedience. I don't always know if I love it in myself, but I want to. So make this your prayer this week. As you're searching for your up, down, side to side, as you're asking, what does it look like to clothe myself in Christ? How do I clothe myself in Christ at a job I hate and a marriage that's trapped me and with kids that feel like they're suffocating me, my finances are in ruin? How do I clothe myself? What does that mean? Start with this prayer. God, this week, help me to want to want you more. This week, show me what it means to be clothed in you. And by the way, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. You flip over two chapters. In chapter 6, he shows you what it means to be clothed in Christ. It's a very popular passage called the armor of God. Jump ahead. Read the descriptors. The breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the gospel, sword of the spirit, shield of faith, helmet of salvation. You wear God's salvation. You wear God's righteousness. You wear God's belt. You wear and hold God's shield of faith. You hold God's sword of the spirit. These aren't things that you muster up. These are clothing articles that God has given you to combat and live in a world that is increasingly hostile toward the spirit within us.
So, if this is you, this week, search for your up, down, side to side people. Don't be a stagnant pond scum. If you don't have that, come talk to me. If you don't have that, talk to Eric in the back. Some of you, you're in community, but you're still pond scum because you don't let people pour into you. Someone's trying to pour into you, and you put a water slide where they're pouring in, so it just shoots all their knowledge to some, some other place. It might be time to just let a little bit trickle in. Someone who you know loves you, someone who you know is rooted in this book, rooted in prayer, let them just trickle God's wisdom into you and see if it can't burrow through hardness of heart, maybe a hardness that has been there for years. Some of you just have to begin by repenting, saying, God, I'm sorry, I've not let people in. I want to learn about you. Show me what to do. If you don't know how to navigate that, I, I am a pastor, I'm a shepherd, which means I exist to help you press into and toward God. There is no amount of annoyance that you could cast upon me. You can text me. You can text this number seven days a week, not just on Sundays. You can email me whenever you want. If your life is in shambles, don't stay stuck without being poured into. Don't stay in a place where your heart is hard and the calluses continue to build. Because the longer those calluses build, the harder they are to break down. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for all that you've done for me. I thank you that you have shown a light into my life, that you have shown a light into the lives of so many here, that now, Lord, we, we are being freed from addictions, freed from exchanging you for other things to find our satisfaction and hope in this life, in this world. Help us, God, this week to be, to be Jesus-focused, Jesus-centered. Help us to find our up, down, and side-to-side people. Help us to open our hearts up authentically and honestly so that we can learn more about Christ and be freed from the calluses and hardness that seeks to weigh us down. In Jesus' name, amen.